Hey, my name is J.D. Larson, one of the pastors at North City Church. Thanks for joining us on our podcast. I hope this inspires and equips you to love God more deeply and to love your neighbor as yourself. At North City, our mission is to love our neighbors in the way of Jesus, and we hope this message emboldens you to do just that in whatever space God has sent you to. Be sure to subscribe and keep in touch with the conversations North City is having. And if you want to find out more about our community, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or online at NorthCityChurchMPLS.com. Enjoy the message. Hey, uh, I get the privilege this morning of introducing our guest preacher, which I'm super excited about. Um, I would love to introduce to you uh, Christine Osgood, who's here with us this morning. Uh, Christine is really special to Christian Ann and I. Not only is she the Associate uh, Professor of Wellbeing at Bethel, she's uh, also the director of that program and leads the, uh, something called the Urban Retreat, which you should all check out. It's an amazing uh, thing. But uh, Christian Ann and I uh, love Christine for so many reasons, one of which is her wisdom. We were reflecting on her uh, before she came to be with us, or is coming to be with us this morning that at a couple of really important junctures in our life, we've sought Christine's wisdom and leadership before adopting Rosie and before planting this church. So she's been really influential, even though you may not uh, recognize her in the start of North City in that way, in influencing Christian and I. And, and I know many of others of you uh, uh, being a part of things she's done before. She's going to kick off uh, a new series for us this morning called A Different Way, Seeking Shalom. So this might be a meta-series, if you will, that we come back to because our mission statement is to love our neighbors in the way of Jesus. That's the different way that we're referring to. And we think a really big part of that is seeking uh, peace, what the Bible calls shalom. There's so much of our lives that is not peaceful, that is uh, kind of feels disjointed. And uh, Jesus very intentionally sought after peace when he was here, and it's a big part of following his way. So the next few weeks up until Thanksgiving time, we'll be talking about what it looked like for Jesus to pursue this and what it looks like for us uh, to seek shalom. So would you give Christine a huge North City warm welcome as she leaves this morning? Okay, I'm going to ask you to do a little exercise in imagination. We're going to actually think about the distant future in order to understand the distant past. You ready? Okay. So in your mind's eye, I want you to see into the future. And imagine, if you will, that China has taken over and acquired the U.S. Okay? Go with me here for just a second. Now, in order to drive home the point that China is in charge of the U.S., China, the officials there, have taken members of our president's family. They have taken the 1%, our wealthiest. They have taken our screenwriters, our songwriters. They have taken our people who are deep in the sciences and tech industries. And they have taken all of these people, and they have brought them out of the US, and they have relocated them to Beijing. Okay, so the people who shape American culture, deeply shape our culture, have now been taken out of the U.S. and relocated to a very different land. Um, if you take this one step further, I want you to imagine that your family, and your family, and your family was part of this group of people that has now been relocated to Beijing, and you are needing to live there. You are needing to 
experience life there, and you are needing to do certain things there. Now, to make matters worse, America actually kind of knew this was coming. Actually, for several hundred years, there had been these voices uh, putting out stuff on the internet saying, hey, by the way, the world as we know it is not going to exist in the future. We actually need to change. And so for hundreds of years, these voices calling out from the margins were saying, hey, you Christian nation, the nation that you say you follow God, you're actually not following God. You are not living the way that God intended. You're not being the way that you are supposed to be. And so one day, your world as you know it is actually going to change dramatically. And so for hundreds of years, these voices were calling out to the American population and the message eventually became one that was not listened to, that nobody paid attention to. And unfortunately, it then happened. China came in, took over the US, and then re relocated our best and brightest over to Beijing. And then we were stuck living without the people who shape our culture, shape who we are as a nation, because they are no longer living in our midst. Well, some of you might realize that this is actually a modern-day analogy for what actually happened hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, but happened in a very different context with a very different group of people. But for those of you who are not familiar with the past, let me give you a little bit of history about the Jewish context when this, in fact, did happen to that group of people. So a very, very long time ago, there was a group of Jewish people, well, technically they were called Israelites at this point in time, and they had been brought into a land where they were going to be living and experiencing the beauty of being in that place. And while they were there, they started looking around to the other nations that were near them, and they were saying, wait a second, the nations that are around us, they all have kings. And so the Israelite people looked and cried out to God and said, hey, we actually would like a king like the other nations have. And God looked at these Israelite people and was like, um, you have a king. I'm your king. I am the one that is with you. I am watching over you. I am leading you. And the people went back to God and said, yeah, thanks, but we want a real king like one we can see here. And so this went back and forth and back and forth, God saying, you don't need it. I'm here with you. And the people saying, no, no. We want to be like the nations that are around us. And so God finally said, okay, you can have a king. And this then entered in the era where Saul became king of the people and where an entire new way of being began to exist between God and between his people. Now, over the course of time here, uh, God watched what happened and what went down. And when I say course of time, I mean Hundreds of years go by from the time that Saul is initiated as king to uh, the events that I'm going to talk about in just a little bit. Hundreds of years go by. And during these hundreds of years, kings rise up and kings die off. And during this time, some of these kings for the Israelite or the Jewish people, they're actually really good. And they help the people live well in the land with God. 
But there were other kings that came into power, and they actually did not help the people live well with God. And in fact, over the course of time, there became more and more kings that actually were the ones that were causing the Israelite people to actually not live well with God. And so during these hundreds of years of kingdoms and kings coming in and ruling the Israelite, ultimately the Jewish people eventually, something started to change in the very fabric of who the people were. They began to actually move away from God, move away from what God was inviting of them, and live in different ways that were not ideal to God and what God was desiring. And so prophets were allowed to come in and speak into the people and say, it's time to be different. It's time to be a different group. And for hundreds of years, the Jewish people lived not listening to the prophets say, it's time to be different. And so after hundreds of years, God finally intervenes. And God says to the people, actually, we got to shake things up because you are not listening to me. You are not hearing me. I have been sending the prophets to say, be different, live differently, be my people. And you're not. And so things, things now need to change, and I need to intervene. Now, typical in God fashion, God actually gives some messages, some things for the people to hold on to. And we're able to hear one of those messages that God gave to the people in the book of Jeremiah. There was a letter that was written um, by one of these prophets, by one of these voices that was calling out to the people. And um, it's actually our text for today. So I want to read this, a portion of this letter that ultimately God gave to Jeremiah to give to the people. And so at this point in time, the Israelites, the Jewish people, have actually had their elite be removed and relocated to a place called Babylon. And Jeremiah is now communicating with the people called exiles and giving them a message from God. And here's what God says to the people who have been relocated to a foreign land as they are living there. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to their priests, the prophets, and all the other people that Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons um, so that they too may have children. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the shalom of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray for it. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and will fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. So the people have not been listening for hundreds of years. And so God says, I need to intervene. And when God intervenes, here's what God does. For 70 years, God says, I'm going to take the shapers of your culture and I'm going to move them and relocate them into a different land. For 70 years, they're going to have to exist, not in the promised land, not in their home. They're going to exist elsewhere. For 70 years, this is going to go on. 
for 70 years. It's only 70 years. When you think about the hundreds of years that the people had been turning away from God, God in God's goodness says, hey, we're going to reboot this whole thing and we're going to do it in 70 years. And so uh, the reason I highlight the hundreds of years versus the 70 is because the exile, when people read about this in the Bible, it actually becomes one of the big things that gets them, I was going to say pissed off, ticked at God. where they go, what the heck, what kind of God is this, that God would take God's people and exile them to a foreign land? Well, let's just all calm down here for a second and go, for hundreds of years, God's people had been doing whatever the heck they wanted to do. And God finally, finally, after hundreds of years says, we need to reboot here a little bit. We need things to change. And so he takes a people and he begins anew. And it's going to take 70 years. Now, this letter that God sent via Jeremiah to the people in exile, this was actually kind of interesting because it was very human and earthy and concrete. When you go line by line and you look at this this letter that was sent to these people, let's just review what they're supposed to do in these 70 years where they're in this land. They're supposed to build houses and settle down. They're supposed to plant gardens and eat what the gardens produce for them. They're supposed to marry and have babies. And then they're supposed to let those babies grow up and then have those babies married off and then have those babies have babies. So we got a couple generations of people that are going to be growing up in this land in exile. Ultimately, they're supposed to increase in number and they're supposed to do this thing called seek the shalom of the city that they have been drawn into or brought into. They were going to be there long enough to become embedded in the neighborhood. They were going to be there long enough to raise up a new generation in this particular city. They were going to be there not for a short stint where they could just fly in, be in the the city for a little bit, and then fly out they were going to be there long enough that the land would be cultivated, that they would produce food, that children would come forward, and ultimately, they would increase in number in the land, which echoes Genesis, another place where we see new beginnings emerge. Even in this land, in this place of exile, something new was going to be started with this group of people. Now, perhaps the group of people that God ushered out and brought to Babylon, maybe they were not going to be the people that were going to start this new process, but they were going to be the ones that would birth the children who ultimately would be the ones to help shape the future generations. And so we see a new humanity emerging, even in the midst of exile we see a new people coming to pass in this place. Now, here's the thing. This creating of a new generation, a new body of people, a new humanity, well, uh, this group was going to need to live very intentionally in the land, very purposefully, and be very different in who they were as a people. And uh, so I want to show you just a little bit about how fun this particular passage is. 
when we take a look at what God instructed this new humanity to do, build houses, plant gardens, actually uh, marry and have babies and produce and develop, what actually was happening was something very strategic on God's part. God was referring to and alluding to Deuteronomy 20 and Deuteronomy 28. In these passages, God gives exemptions for people who are going to be going to war. And at first blush, you might be like, why do we need to know about the exemptions for going to war back in Deuteronomy? But listen to this. If you are going, no, if you are relocated to Beijing with some pretty wealthy, influential people from the U.S., and you were all put in Beijing together, how long do you think it would take for that group to get together and go, uh, I was going to say, screw this. <laughs> we are going to get out of here, and we need to leave this place. Pretty soon, this little group of people that's living in Beijing would be like, that's it. We're forming a mini coup. We're getting out of the land. We are not going to be here. But if the Israelite and Jewish people understood some of the story that was told from Deuteronomy 20, they would know that God would say to people and had said to people, look, I want you to go and be exempt from war. You're going to build houses. You are going to plant vineyards. You are going to be a people that will marry and have children. And all of these people who build houses, who marry and have children, who plant vineyards, you are all people who are exempt from going to war. In essence, God was saying, look, You've been brought into exile. Do not revolt while you are there in Babylon. Do not try and form a coup. Do not go to war. I want you to embed this land. I want you to move into this neighborhood. And I want you to be a new humanity in this place. Do not fight. Live in this place. So these people, as they're living in this place, are supposed to seek the shalom of this place. But I don't know about you, I actually, for a long time, had no idea what shalom actually was. But these people are supposed to go there and seek the shalom of the city that they've been drawn into. So I think we should probably know what shalom actually is. Shalom is a Hebrew construct that when you start to study Hebrew, you actually need to learn a lot of different dimensions of it and layers to it. Hebrew words meant a lot of different things, not one thing. Every time our English Bibles translate the word shalom from the Hebrew context, what they translated it as is as peace. And so we get a lot of peace in the Bible, that we are supposed to be people of peace and we're supposed to be about peace and whatnot. But oftentimes, actually over 250 times, the Bible is actually talking about shalom and that we are supposed to be about shalom in this world. But now what actually is shalom if it's not just simply peace or an absence of war? Here's a little bit more about what shalom actually is. Shalom, in its deepest meaning, is universal wholeness, completeness, thriving, flourishing, and well-being. Shalom is something that comes about when people are living in right relationship with God and right relationship with one another. Shalom is something that is actually the way the world ought to be. It is how we were designed as humanity to actually exist with one another, well with one another and with our God. 
Now, um, at the beginning of creation, shalom was ushered into the world. And as we live now, we are to be working towards shalom being made manifest in our lives right now. Wholeness, completeness, flourishing, thriving, and well-being. That's way more than peace. Now, when you actually get into starting to study shalom and all the different layers of it, there are three primary dimensions that emerge when we're talking about shalom. First of all, shalom has an individual dimension to it. it when the Bible is talking about shalom, it's actually talking about what's happening inside of an actual person. Now, this is hard for us to understand because in our Western mindset, we actually tear apart human beings and put them in little compartments. But a Hebrew person looks at a human being and looks at them very holistically and says that a human's shalom, a human's well-being, is actually affected by the dynamic interconnection of their bodies, their minds, and their spirits all working interconnected with one another. And so if I am actually going to talk about your shalom or my shalom, my well-being, my completeness, my wholeness, my thriving, I'm actually talking about this dynamic intersection of mind, body, and spirit if I'm talking about it from a Hebrew perspective. And so um, the Bible, you will see, talks about checking on people's shalom. For example, in 1 Samuel 17, uh, David, when he was a young buck, was sent off to the front lines to check on the shalom of his brothers, who were literally at the front line of the Israelite-Philistine conflict. And the dad, Jesse, says, hey, go check on their shalom. See how they're doing. David didn't go out there to see, hey, are you guys experiencing peace? He's on the front lines of the battle going on with the Philistines. What David went to check on was the shalom of his siblings, the well-being of his siblings, the wholeness and thriving of his siblings as they were there on the front lines. Now, I teach an entire course on how to be able to invest in this interconnected perspective of who we are as humans, the body, the mind, and the spirit. And I wish I could go in great depth with you about this to show you how dynamically interconnected we are as humans. But today, my whole goal is to just help us understand what shalom is and what we're moving towards. So the first dimension of shalom is actually a dimension that has to do with the individual. And so when you are seeking shalom, you have to be attentive to the individual dimension of shalom. But there are other dimensions of shalom. The second dimension of shalom actually has to do with the interpersonal relating between people. So um, when you think about does shalom actually exist in our midst, you are thinking about, hey, how are you and I getting along with one another? Is there a wholeness, completeness, thriving, and well-being between us? Or is there division, brokenness, strife, envy, and a, uh, a separation between us as individuals? True shalom is a type of experience that will actually have a very corporate communal um, tenor or ethos to it. Um, uh, for example, I think that Jesus modeled this beautifully, that it was really important to pay attention to the interpersonal dimension of shalom 
when he selected his 12 disciples that were walking around with him all the time. In the midst of these 12, he had a tax collector and he had a zealot. And for any of you who know anything about the Jewish history, these two people are people who would be at odds with one another, to put it mildly. These are the type of people who would be culturally opposed to one another, skeptical of one another, critical of one another. And Jesus says, actually, we're going to bring these very different people together, and they are going to journey with me, and we are going to establish a new way of existing in our midst with one another. When the tax collector and the zealot came together and could actually move about in this world with Jesus, shalom existed in their midst. Now, Walter Brueggemann says this when we are thinking about what actually is shalom. Shalom is the well-being of a very personal kind, but shalom is also a well-being that is deliberately corporate. If there is to be shalom, not just for isolated, insulated individuals, it's rather, it's a security and well-being granted for the entire community. Always, we are all in it together. Old Testament scholar Janine Brown also highlights this communal or interpersonal aspect of shalom as she then casts a vision for the third dimension of shalom, which I'm going to tell you about in a second. She says, a society characterized by shalom embraces the core values of justice-infused peace and the enjoyment of relationships centered in the relationship with God. In the Bible, shalom connotes the complete well-being of all of society, which brings us to the third dimension of shalom. If the first one is intrapersonal, the second dimension of shalom is interpersonal, the third dimension of shalom has to do with all of society around us. God's ultimate desire and design is to bring about wholeness, completeness, thriving well-being for the whole land, the whole world, not just individuals or not just small groups of people. Perry Yoder says it this way, shalom is the plan for God, for, of God for human life and history. It's the sign of the coming of God's rule on earth when everything, everything is functioning the way that God designed it to function, then there is shalom. If God's kingdom is to come here on earth as it is in heaven, that means that sweeping societal change actually needs to occur. We need to be able to have political change, economic change, social change actually be manifest here in this realm if we want God's shalom to be what permeates this world and this land. Which brings us to us and our involvement in the seeking of shalom and the bringing of shalom. If we actually want to seek the shalom of the city that we're in, we need to, first of all, be aware of the injustice, the impression, the oppression, the marginalization, the things that are not right, that are not as they ought to be. We are the people that actually need to open our eyes and come awake to what is wrong in our land, where we can say, no, this is not what God intended for the world to look like. And we are actually going to do something about that so that way God's world comes to pass and God's world is what is made manifest in this particular reality. God has always invited a remnant, a group of people, 
to participate in the bringing of shalom. We have seen people called the Israelites, the Jewish people, the first century church, and now us, people who are invited by God to actually open their eyes and see that the world is not as it ought to be. And so then to communally live as a group of people who model a different way of existence to the world around them. And we do this so that way God can be made known in this reality. We are the ones that need to tend to the societal level change with God. We are the ones that actually need to notice what's happening interpersonally between us and with God, have the space between us become well and exude shalom. And we are also the ones that need to pay attention to what is internal within us and whether or not it is helping us move towards these interpersonal and societal changes or are we actually the place in which this whole thing kind of gets mucked up with to begin with? Now, um, it's interesting uh, for me. I'm someone who studies psychology and spiritual formation and how these two worlds intersect with one another. And uh, I have found that pretty much everybody is all about the third dimension of shalom. They're like, bring it. We want to have a just society. We want to actually have this world be good. We would like there to be a different way of existence in a societal realm. Now, how they go about talking about that and their ideas that they bring up about how that's going to happen, well, that sometimes leaves room for improvement. But most people want the world to be good. They don't want this place to be a hellhole where they just got to suck it up every single day and live here walking around in a bunch of muck. They want the world to be different. They want shalom to exist in this reality. But then there comes to the sticky point of the first and the second layers of shalom. When we start getting into the nitty-gritty of how do we actually transform society with God, well, that's where things start getting a little funky for us. If we want societal-level shalom, we may first need renewal between us. We may first need renewal within us in order to be effective in helping God bring about shalom in this world. And truly, this is where the rubber meets the road. If we want shalom to permeate society, we may need to talk to our city's elected officials to work out how are we going to find affordable and fair and equitable housing for immigrants that are moving into our city. If we want shalom to permeate society, we may actually need to go upstairs and check on the widow that lives above us instead of binge-watching Netflix on Friday night. If we want shalom to permeate our society, we may actually need to address some of the stuff that's going on in our own individual lives so that way we have the reserve and the energy to actually be able to pour out into the world around us instead of always being so self-absorbed with our own problems, our own issue, our own trauma, our own stuff. When we are so inward focused, it's hard to raise our gaze and see where God is asking us to move in this world with God. So shalom is something for us to aspire to, and it's something for us to move toward. It's something for us individually 
and also communally to actually seek to have it happen in this world. It's not going to come about without God, but God is asking us, would you please participate in the bringing of shalom to this world? What we live communally with one another influences and co-authors what actually happens in this world around us. So, circling back to the letter that Jeremiah sent to the exiles in Babylon when God's people were brought into that city. Folks, build houses and settle into the neighborhood. Plant some gardens and eat from what you grow in the neighborhood that you embed yourself in. Marry and have babies and have your babies grow up and have babies of their own and increase in number. And the entire time this is going down, seek the shalom of the city that you have been drawn into. As you can tell, I think this letter could also be to us today. Are we ready to see the neighborhoods that God has brought us into? Are we ready and willing to seek shalom in those particular places? First, we may need to invest in what's already happening in our own lives. Secondly, we may actually need to invest in the shalom that is in existing or not existing between us. So that third, we can get together as a corporate community go out and sow shalom in the cities that God has called us to. These are the dimensions of shalom that we're invited to participate in. The question becomes, will we? I'd like to pray and close this out for today. Spirit of the living God, I thank you that you have been alive and moving in all of history. I thank you for how many hundreds of years ago we were able to see the story of how it is that you were moving amongst the Israelites, amongst the Jewish people, specifically the exiles, as they were brought and relocated to a new land where a new generation was going to emerge from their midst. I thank you, God, for how you instructed the people to live even in that space, for how you invited them into seeking the shalom of the city that you have drawn them into. I thank you that shalom is something that is so much more robust than simply not war. I thank you that there are individual, corporate, and societal dimensions to shalom, and I pray that you would help us to begin to understand that a shalom way of living, it's truly a different way. In the days and the weeks to come, as this community begins to unpack even more this different way, seeking shalom, embodying shalom. I pray that you would open their eyes, that you would help them to understand the very layered nature of shalom and where they need to invest and pour into shalom, they would be able to see that. I pray these things in your name. Amen.